ladies. So if you were here last week, then you'll remember that Rebecca introduced me as her kid's Aunt Janae. And if you weren't here last week, hi, I'm Janae, and I am filling in for Rebecca tonight. And it is my honor and it's my privilege to take you through 1 John chapter 4. And there should be a picture of Princess Tiana up here. Ah, oh, she's there. So this is Princess Tiana from the Disney movie Princess and the Frog. Now, back in the day, I used to be in performance arts. I used to act and I did stage productions. And then when I wasn't acting, I was a lighting designer at the historical Madam C.J. Walker Theater back in my home of Indianapolis, Indiana. And let me tell you, I was super pumped when Princess and the Frog came out because my goal was to audition to play her in Disney World. Now, Disney, they have what they call face characters. And face characters are the princesses, princes, villains, fairies, just the characters that you can actually see their faces. And they were holding auditions for these characters. And I was so excited because I knew this was it. And I was bound and determined to play Princess Tiana. This was my chance. Honestly, it was my Esther moment. For such a time as this, was I born to play this role in Florida in Disney World. But I felt the Holy Spirit saying, no. And like a good Christian, I said, okay, God, that's a funny way to say go for it. I hear you. And I was just, I was on a mission. And I was on the Disney audition website every single day. And not only that, I was following former Disney princess face characters for audition inside tips. What happens after you land the job just everything that went along with it because I was going to be prepared. I already knew that I was getting the job, but I just wanted to make sure that I was good to go just in case. My parents and I, we were in agreement. My mom fully supported it, but the Holy Spirit kept saying no. And I didn't share this with anyone else because it was just between me and God. But I continued in my disobedience. God wanted me to go in one direction and I wanted to go in the other. And I was set on this course that I had for my life that had nothing to do with what God wanted. And I made the conscious decision to ignore God on a daily basis. I was so deep in my disobedience and refusing to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance that it got to the point where, and it's funny now, but in the moment it was not funny, but my disobedience got to the point where I became physically ill. Anytime I heard the word Disney, attempted to watch a Disney movie, sing a Disney song, and Ladies, let me paint this picture for you. I feel like you don't understand the level of love that I have for Disney. Okay, let, let me paint this for you. My purse is my favorite Disney princess, Aurora. My phone background is my favorite Disney princess, Aurora. Okay, I have been to Disney three or four times and I want to go more. 
I love Disney. I belong to multiple Facebook fan pages and I follow every single Disney princess on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am an unofficial member of D23. And if you don't know what D23 is yet, it's secret. You're not a true lover and a true believer like I am. So there you go. So to be able to not sing Disney songs, to not watch a movie, to not even say the word Disney because it made me sick. Oh my gosh, it hurt my heart so bad. And you would think that with the Lord giving me this hint and being abundantly clear, don't do it. I don't want you there that I would have canceled my plans. But no, I didn't. As the youngest born who doesn't like being told what to do, I doubled down on my disobedience. And honestly, in my disobedience, it was, it was absolute torture. And then one day, I was perusing the Disney audition website And again, I was there every single day. I knew that website like the back of my hand. I'm perusing the website while also nursing a nauseous stomach. My my stomach was just all over the place because I shouldn't have even been on the website. But something popped up that I had never seen before. And I randomly clicked on it. And I came to find out that all Disney characters face or costume had height requirements. I'm 5'9 and discovered I was too tall to be a Disney princess. My heart was broken, but God needed to break me of that disobedience. And the moment I let go of those plans and obeyed God, I stopped getting sick and I was able to finally enjoy Disney in peace. But in 1 John 4, the believers in Ephesus were on the verge of being blown off course by those with their own self-serving agendas. Additionally, the believers had this misunderstanding of true love that was going to set them on a course that was away from God. So if you all have your Bibles with you, electronic or paper, let's go to 1 John 4, chapter, excuse me, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And with verse one, we see that John wants us to test these spirits to see if they are really from God or if they're false. But how can we test the spirits with confidence? Now, for example, I can easily label somebody that I don't like or disagree with as a false prophet. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go to this boot camp called Camp Gladiator. It's at 5.15 in the morning, and I usually get up between 4.15 and 4.30, and I give myself some extra time to contemplate my life and why am I doing this. But nonetheless, I still go and I still do it. And my trainer is also my nutritionist. Every week, he gives me new meal plans to follow. And he put asparagus on my shopping list. So clearly, he's a false prophet. And he has the spirit of the Antichrist. I mean, asparagus and me, it does not go together. He is from his father, the devil. But in all seriousness, I think that John knows 
that without proper guidance, we'd be tempted to throw antichrist, false prophet around, which takes us to verses two and three. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world today. The false prophet claims to speak on behalf of God. And I also have a chart that kind of breaks down the difference between the false prophets and the Antichrist. So you have that the false prophet, they claim to speak on behalf of God and their words are mostly true, but are not in full agreement with scripture. Whereas on the other side, you have the spirit of the Antichrist. They actively oppose Jesus and his followers. And I'm not saying this just because I live with Rebecca and we're friends, but also I'm saying it because I live with Rebecca and we're friends. It's necessary for me to tell you that John is taking a hit at the Gnostics right here because the Gnostics had no issues acknowledging that Jesus was 100% God, but they could not agree with the fact that Jesus is 100% man. Both of them go together. They don't cancel each other out. They both live harmoniously together. They are both true at the same time. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Now let's move on to verses four through six. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now as we go back to verse 4. Because we are from God, chosen by God, and adopted into his family, we don't need to fear those who directly oppose our Savior and by extension us. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who is this he that is in us? And that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who is so great that he allowed death to touch him, but not overpower him. And in verse five, we see that they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. These false prophets and those with this spirit of the Antichrist are not of God. They speak with the world's best interests and heart. In contrast, when we speak, we speak with eternally minded hearts. And when false prophets speak, it's with a temporary mindset. You got right now, YOLO. And for those who don't know, you only live once. Live fast, die young, work hard, play hard. Those are the world's mantras, but not ours. 
The world doesn't accept your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The world does not and cannot accept that. And we see in verse six that we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We see that contrast from John. We are from God. What comes from knowing God? There's an authority. There's a truthfulness. There's a trustworthiness that undergirds your words, which causes believers to listen to you and trust you. Now let's read verses seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. The word agapao means to have a warm regard and interest in one another, to cherish and to have affection. And this type of love, it cannot be found apart from God's love for us. A love that cherishes, a love that sacrifices, and a love that knows no selfishness is a telltale sign of not only belonging to God, but knowing God. And in verse 8, we see that it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And an absence of agapao love is an absence of the relationship that you should have with the Father. And you cannot claim to love God, but look on one of your brothers or sisters in Christ with disdain. Let's go to verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To further prove his point and to show the depth of God's love, John points us to the gospel. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, to be a propitiation. Now, propitiation comes from the word hilosmos, meaning appeasement necessitated by sin. God feels emotions. Jonah describes God as a gracious God, as merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. When we sin, God has every right to be angry, and that anger must be appeased. There must be punishment for disobeying God. But that's where Jesus comes in, because Jesus took on the sins of the entire world at the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice. Jesus took on the punishment meant for us meant for us. But I don't want you to think that 
God looked at Jesus's sacrifice and was like, ugh, fine. Uh, if I can't punish the humans, I guess I'll take you. I'll settle for Jesus, whatever. Coming for you humans. You'll sin. Just wait for it. No, no, not at all. It pleased God to show us mercy. God is 100% just and 100% merciful. Our sin demands punishment. And God planned for Jesus to receive what we deserve and for us to receive mercy. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Because of this, we're obligated to love each other. We don't have the privilege of seeing God, but we come face to face with his image bearers every single day. We display the love of God in the way that we love others. The love we show is evidence that God truly lives in us and that this love is perfected in us. God sees the beginning and the end. And through Christ's sacrifice, we've been made perfect and complete, but it's also an ongoing process. It's both and. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us is proof that we truly abide in God and he abides in us. And in verse 14, we see that, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. The apostles had this unique experience of knowing Christ in the flesh and being eyewitnesses to his earthly ministry. But we don't have this firsthand knowledge, and yet we believe in faith the eyewitness accounts found in Scripture. And let's move on to verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. The word confess comes from the Greek word homoleiho. In this instance, it is a profession of allegiance. Acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God is to profess your allegiance to the most high God. And it is it's you declaring that God abides in you and you abide in him. In verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. What John is writing, it shouldn't be news. It's, it's not new. He's not introducing us to some brand new concept that we have never heard before. We know and believe the love that God has for us. And I'm an auntie and a spiritual mother, and it's not 
enough for my nieces and nephews and for my spiritual babies to know that I love them, but I need them to have an unmovable and unshakable belief without a shadow of a reasonable doubt that I love them. In verse 17, we see that John says, by this Love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. John spent the last 10 verses reminding us what true love is for multiple reasons, but I want to point out two reasons. What is the purpose of this reminder? One, he wants us to know without question that God truly abides in us and we in him. And then the second reason, so that we may have confidence on judgment day. And I do have a chart that has that for you. Thank you. So God's abiding love in us gives us a blessed assurance of eternal life without fear of eternal punishment. We are not perfected yet, but on the day of judgment, we will stand before God perfect, just as Christ is perfect. That is why we have no fear of this coming day, because we stand covered in perfect love. And as I was writing this and thinking about an example, what could I use to really just put it in there that what perfect love is, what does it look like? I immediately thought about my dad. I have a picture of us. This is probably my favorite picture of me and my dad. This was, I don't know, I think maybe 10 years ago at one of my big sister's weddings. And... It's been about five years since my dad went home to be with the Lord. And then I have a picture of my oldest nieces and nephews. This picture that is coming up was taken a few years ago. I call these four, I call them my core four because they're, they're the oldest. We kind of grew up together. My siblings are a little bit older than me, so... I'm semi-closer to their age, and so we kind of matured together. So I got to be home with my dad when his health started to really nosedive, and we knew that this was it. We knew that he was going to die. My dad was on hospice for about 16 days, and the day that he passed, when the funeral home came to take his body, I just, I knew that I couldn't be in there. I couldn't watch them bring my father's body out of our home. So I quietly slipped outside. I didn't announce it, say, hey, can't do this, going outside. I quietly slipped outside and I went unnoticed and I was getting myself together for what I was about to see. And my niece, Bree, she's on, the, on my left, the far left. 
she, I'm standing in the driveway and out of my peripheral, I see the front door open and she pops her head out of the door, looks right, looks left, notices me, comes out, walks up to me, comes to my right and puts her arm around me. Then my oldest nephew in the back, I notice out of my peripheral, he opens the front door, looks right, looks left, notices us, quietly walks over to my left and puts his arm around me. Then my other niece comes out, she does the exact same thing, comes to breeze right and puts her arm around my waist. And then my nephew, he does the same thing as well, looks left, looks right, comes out, goes to my left and puts his arm around me. And then as the door opens and I see the employees from the funeral home come out with my dad, my nieces and nephews, without saying a word, immediately squeeze me. And I feel their arms tighten around me. And their arms stayed that way. And they just held me as I'm losing it and just crying, seeing what's happening. And after they put my father in the hearse and closed the door, their hands immediately start to loosen on me after they know that I'm okay. That's what it means to be covered in perfect love. That's what it means to be covered. Because we see that in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Christ's perfect love removes the fear of judgment. And if you claim to love God and to know God, but you still fear judgment day, please come chat with me or Rebecca or Lauren or anyone else on the women's ministry team because that fear should not be there. And as we move on to verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. We gave God every reason not to love us. On our best day, we will never be worthy of God's love. Had he not made the conscious effort to seek us out, we would have stayed exactly where we were, hell bound. We weren't coming out of that because it was the only thing we knew. It's what made us comfortable. Years ago, I used to work on a farm. I know it's hard to believe the hair at the nails. I realize that, but we all have a past, as do I. And one thing that I love were the baby hogs, and their moms were vicious, which is why we stayed out of their little area, but the little baby hogs would always sneak out, and they would run around where I worked until their moms would squeal, and they'd run right back. But the hogs loved the mud. They didn't see anything better than mud. Am I comparing us to hogs? Exactly. Yes, I am. Because we love mud. We don't think that there's anything better than the mud until God washes us off and shows us that there's something better than what we are in right now. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God 
and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You cannot profess your love for God, but hate your brother and sister in Christ. The word hate comes from the Greek word meseo, and it means a permanent and deep-seated human hostility toward other people, to detest. So you cannot claim that God abides in you and you abide in him while harboring a permanent and deep-seated detest against someone else. You cannot do that. How can we claim to love a God that we have never seen and hate the people that he has strategically placed in our lives? You must love others with the same sacrificial love that God has for us. And as we close this out, I want you to reflect on the last 21 verses and not just 21 verses, 1 John 1 up until now. And there are some questions that I have for you that I really want you to reflect on this week and beyond. Are there people in your life that you are choosing not to love? How are you allowing your brothers and sisters in Christ to surround you in that agapao love? And last, what steps can you take to accept and show agapao love? Thank you, ladies.